Father in heaven, we come to you again this morning needing your grace and mercy, but we come to a God who is uh, rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love. Uh, And so we pray uh, for the gift of your spirit to open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, uh, to bind us ever more closely uh, in fellowship with your son and with one another. Uh, Bless us, we pray in his name. Amen. Okay, so um, last of our four sessions on uh, membership. We'll be trying to think a little bit about uh, what it means to be part of Christchurch Central. And we've thought a little bit about church in general. We've thought a bit about um, how churches are led. So elders, presbytery, those sort of things. What does it mean to be part of a Presbyterian church? And this morning, just finally, I want to talk a little bit about, about our church specifically uh, and what it means to be part of, um, uh, of our denomination, why that matters, um, why you should bother, or why you should care, I suppose. Um, because it's worth knowing that when you become a member of Christchurch Central, you therefore, at the same time, become a member of the, the International Presbyterian Church, okay, the whole denomination. Um, so this morning, we're, hopefully you've got handouts. Um, this morning, therefore, we'll be a little bit more on the kind of, um, sort of history side of things. Uh, none of us pretend that the IPC is literally in the Bible. Uh, so we've explained, if this is your first session, we've already done you know, why elders, why Presbyterianism, that sort of stuff. This is sort of the specifics of our own, uh, own denomination. And really, I, want, I mainly want to talk about three, three birthdays and three books. So the first thing to say is, uh, and the most important thing to say is, we're, we're 2,000 years old as a church. Um, often people say, oh, a church planter, you, you know, must be funding a new church. But actually, fundamentally, we're already 2,000 years uh, old. There only is one church, isn't there? Um, uh, and, and when we begin new congregations, new churches, we're, we're not creating a new entity. We're just the, 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 the one vine is sprouting a new branch. Um, uh, the, the temple is adding a few new bricks, whatever image you might want to use. And so hopefully this has got a very common territory for you. Um, when, when you come into Christchurch, it shouldn't seem totally new, uh, even if you've never been to a Presbyterian church in your life. Um, at the beginning of our little sort of what's called the Book of Church Order, I'll come back to that, this little book that helps us, helps us sort of run things. Um, it says this, the overriding objective of the church is to please and glorify the triune God through his Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who is the incarnate second person of the Trinity, crucified, risen, exalted, and reigning as head of the church, King of kings and Lord of lords, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Th- that is, 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 is not something any Christian is going to disagree with, is it? Okay, that is what church is about. Okay, so you don't need to worry too much whether you're a Presbyterian, whether you've understood everything. But that is what we're about as a church, as a denomination. Um, I think, I can't remember if I put the verse in your sheets, but... Oh, I've lost... Yeah. Well, anyway, what this means is that the, the fundamental book that drives Christchurch Central is, is the Bible. Okay. Um, there is no higher authority. We, you'll hear us talk about the Westminster Confession and the Catechisms and the sort of doctrinal standards of the church, but they are all what's called subordinate standards. Ultimately, the Bible rules everything. Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That is, the church is built on the word of God. And really, if someone asked you, you know, what, what is Reformed theology about? What is Reformed theology about? The simplest answer is it's trying to bring everything 
under the rule of God's word. Yeah, that's what Reformed theology was all about, trying to bring all of life under the authority uh, of God's word. As we'll see a bit later on, sometimes with evangelicalism, the, the sort of broader camp, some people would say, well, actually, this bit, we're sort of, you know, God's word doesn't speak to this directly, so we can sort of, it's up to us how we do this bit. But the sort of Reformed camp in general said, no, actually, do you know what, we can bring all, certainly all of life and worship under the authority uh, of God's word. So in that sense, there's nothing particularly special about us, nothing particularly di- different. If you've been in an FIEC church or an evangelical Anglican church, um, you shouldn't find this incredibly different. Uh, and the distinctives, okay, some of the things that make Presbyterians different, um, we believe are for, so here's a landing phrase for you, Sunday morning, a bit of Latin, they're of the bene essay, not the essay of the church. That means they're of the well-being, bene you know, good, the well-being, essay the being of the church, not the very essence of it. Okay, so we don't think you have to have elders, for example, in order to be a real church. So if, you, if, you're a sort of, if you've just got a vicar, it doesn't count, you're not a proper church. We don't think, unless you baptise babies, you're not a real church. We don't think, unless you're reformed theologically, you're not a real church. Okay, there's all sorts of churches where we might disagree with them on all sorts of things, all sorts of theological, theological things. But basically, if they believe the gospel and a bunch of believers gathered together, then yeah, they're, a, they're a church. So it's good to think about these secondary things, but we don't believe they're, they're what constitutes a church. I really like that line from Moby Dick. Heaven have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike, for all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly need mending. Um, it's interesting, I think, if you look, you know, I can't prove this, but if you look at different... Um, different churches, particularly different types of churches. I think sometimes you can see kind of besetting sins, patterns of sin. And one of the, one of the dangers, I think, of, of those that are kind of reformed and get into theology and thinking of the truth, one of the dangers is, is sort of pride. We're the true, pure church. And everyone else is sort of, you know, wallies who've got everything wrong. Um, so that's something I think, you know, you want to hold up the Bible and theology and think as hard as you can and obey as hard as you can, all the rest of it. But, but that we need to be careful that doesn't lead to, to pride. We're all idiots at the end of the day, to put it less poetically than Herman Noble. And that's why we, we really try and pursue friendships with other churches. Again, some of you have been around for a while. This is all really old hat, so apologies to you. But um, if you're new, look, we, we do want to, we know we do work with other churches in the city. We're about to do a joint carol service with Emmanuel Baptist and City Evangelical, um, none of which are Presbyterian churches. Um, we're involved with the CUs and want to help there. I'm going to speak at the CU carol service. So we're, it's not this kind of like, we're the only true true church. So we're 2,000 years old. We're also 400 years old. Um, it would be lovely if we could just say, hey, we're just a Bible-believing church. Or I'm just a Christian. We're just a Christian church. But the problem is, people use those words in so many different ways um, nowadays. If you've got a Bible, just, just look at 2 Corinthians 11. I think this is probably the most striking example of this, at least that I can think of in the New Testament. So 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. This is Paul, Paul writing to the church. Verse 3, I'm afraid. What's he afraid? I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, 
or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. What's Paul warning about? He's warning about false teachers, aren't they? Isn't he? Okay, it's a different gospel. But but what language are these false teachers using? Or what are they speaking about? If you were to listen to them, well, they'd be speaking about Jesus. Someone claims another Jesus. They are speaking about Jesus. It's quite hard to understand, I think, what you receive a different spirit quite means. But, um, next clause, if you accept a different gospel, what are they talking about? They're talking about the gospel, they're talking about Jesus. It's just that it's a different gospel from the one Paul preaches, and a different Jesus than the one Paul preached. And that's why it's never been enough, sadly, even from the days of the New Testament, it's never been enough just to say, hey, we're into the Bible, we're into Jesus, we're into the gospel. You need to be able to answer the question, what do you believe the gospel is? Tell me, what, what Jesus do you believe in? I'm doing a CU mission in, in Nottingham years and years ago. And, and some, some people came up to me. They had ESVs, the version of the Bible, in your hands. Um, uh, and they, yeah, I'd done an evangelistic talk. And they were, they were sort of, it was really, really helpful. We disagreed with this a little bit. And I, there was something funny about them. I couldn't quite work out what it was. Um, and I kept talking, kept talking. Super sound. Jesus died for us. Great. Yeah. On and on, eventually found out they didn't believe Jesus was God. But they were talking about Jesus who came into the world to die for our sins. And it's, it's, that's why you need these doctrinal statements. Okay? They're a sad necessity. It'd be great if we all just could get on and just say we believe the Bible. But sadly, they've always been false teachers, which is why these statements are there to say, when we say we believe in God, we mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. When we say we believe in Jesus, we mean the Son of God, he became man, dot, dot, dot. That's what they're all about. So, so where, do we, where do we fit uh, Christchurch Central? Why do I say we're 400 years old? Um, with apologies to the historians, here's a whistle-stop tour. Um, as the church grew o- um, over the years, from the apostles onwards, eventually, particularly um, dominantly in Europe, um, what grew up is what we now know as Roman Catholicism. Now, it didn't just go Roman Catholic like that, obviously. Um, it was sort of an evolution but by the, by the, by, by the, by the 16th century, um, the, the system that sort of we think of as Catholicism was, was pretty clearly in place. Pope um, and a, and a really conf- real confusion on the gospel. So in 1517, this guy Martin Luther, who was a, a monk out in, in what we now call Germany, um, for various reasons, basically woke up and, and, and rediscovered okay, the, the, the free grace of the gospel and justification by faith. And he, you know, the, the sort of, the children's story version at least is he pinned these 95 theses to the, the door of the church in Wittenberg and started this debate, lit a fire um, that, that, that basically led to the, an evangelical reawakening. The reason it's called the Reformation, reformation, is that Luther and those who followed him were all saying, look, this isn't something new we've come up with. Protestantism, as you're calling us, because we're protesting against the, the Catholic Church, it's not, it's not new, it's not our idea. We're refounding what is there in the Bible, refining it, reforming the church. And so from that moment on, whereas if, if you'd been walking around Europe in, say, 1400, everybody is in the same denomination. That's it. Roman Catholic, that's it. There's no, you know, there's the odd heretic here and there, but that's just it. But from basically the, 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 sort of the 16th century onwards, things split. So, so you get a whole load of churches that become Lutheran, okay, following Luther. Um, you get a whole bunch of kind of Anabaptist churches, independent Baptist churches. Some of them go very, very weird. The good Baptists don't pop up until a bit later. Uh, and then you get this guy, John Calvin, 
and John Knox about the same time, who, who were seen as the kind of fathers of what's, what we call the Reformed churches. Uh, both of them Presbyterian, um, Switzerland, Scotland. Uh, at the same time in England, um, Henry VIII, remember in school history lessons, Henry VIII, who's not, to be fair, the most committed evangelical, I think it's fair to say, but would really like another wife, um, breaks away, makes England no longer a, a Catholic country, um, turns, it, turns it into a, a Protestant country, uh, and says that from now on that um, the Pope is no longer the, the, you know, the supreme head of the church. And so the Church of England is, is created, um, I can't remember the exact year of the break, what's the break with Rome, 1530-something, can't remember the exact, Peter, break with Rome, about 1530, 38, there we go, brilliant. Um, so from then onwards, England is a Protestant country, because Henry VIII just clicks his fingers. But as you can imagine, you know, everybody's, everybody's Catholic, and then suddenly the king says, oh, by the way, we're all Protestants now. Next Sunday, the, you know, the, it's the same priest in the church. It's the same congregation. So it's not as if everyone suddenly becomes evangelicals overnight. And so what you find, again, this is very whistle-stop, but what you find over the next, really over the next hundred years, is the Church of England kind of swings back and forth. There are times when if the, the monarch is a, is a real evangelical, Edward VI, Henry's son, then actually everything sort of sways more in a real evangelical direction. And there are times when... Um, it goes totally back the other way. In fact, briefly, it goes right back to being Catholic. And so back and forth, and what emerges is... Um, what emerges is, is a, a, a church at the beginning of the 17th century um, under Charles I um, that on paper has loads of good Protestant evangelical doctrine, but which has enough loopholes that those in power, either bishops, can push it back in a kind of quasi-Catholic direction. And it leads to the civil wars. Um, there's other things that lead to the civil wars. It wasn't just religion. Um, but, but Charles I, I think I'll put the dates on your sheet, um, these civil wars kick off. Um, they end up executing Charles I. He annoyed them about all sorts of things, not just religion, but religion was a really big factor. And so when they push Charles off the throne... What Parliament say is, look, we need to sort out the Church of England. Okay? We want to be Protestants, we want to be proper evangelicals. And we're aware that there are just enough wiggle room and loopholes in the Church of England kind of documents that, that we, we need to tighten them up. Okay? And also we've thought about things. The Reformation's 100 years old plus now, so we've had more time to think about stuff. So there might be other things we want to say. And so Parliament says, look, we want, we're going to get two ministers from every county in England. And a couple from the unis, you know, Oxford, Cambridge back then. The big ones, Oxford, Cambridge, probably Nottingham. Um, <laughs> it wasn't Nottingham. Um, and they gathered these ministers together. What's what's called the Westminster Assembly. Jerusalem Chamber down at, uh, down at Westminster. And, and said to them, look, sort it out. Come up with a doctrinal basis, a way of doing church that will keep all the kind of reformed evangelicals together. And close up some of these loopholes. So initially, they literally just sat down with the doctrinal basis of the Church of England, which is the 39 Articles, and were kind of like, yep, good, keep, mm, dodge that bit, keep, add a bit here. Um, which is why, when you read what the document they produce, which is the Westminster Confession, the one that is our doctrinal basis, um, some of the phrases are literally word for word the same as the Church of England um, ones. So, God is a spirit without, um, oh, I've just blanked on it, body, what is it? Zach, go. Bodies in parts and passions, thank you. Well done, Jake. Jake's got a foot in both camps there. Uh, healing the divide. Um, you were quoting the Presbyterian one, presumably. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> Just the same. Exactly the same. God is a spirit without body parts or passions. Both exactly the same. After a while, they realise, actually, this is a bit of a mess. Let's just do a sort of a new start. But, but again, a lot of those guys sitting there had been Church of England ministers. So it, it's, it wasn't this sort of total, um, I don't know, annihilation of everything that went before. Um, it evolved from there. They had advice from the Scots and all sorts of other things. I won't bore you anymore with the history. But what came out of that Westminster Assembly was this document called the Westminster Confession of Faith which from then onwards has served all the way down the centuries as the doctrinal basis for Presbyterian churches and does to this day. Um, they also wrote catechisms. Catechisms are questions and answers. So there's a larger catechism which, and a shorter catechism. Shorter catechism basically aimed at children and unsurprisingly much shorter. That's the most famous part of the whole package really is the first question of that. What is the chief end of man? Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the short one. So these, these documents they produced form the kind of the consensus document. This is what's going to keep us all together as, church, as reformed churches from now onwards. Um, I, I put on your sheet there, I won't go into loads of... Um, no, I've lost your hand up. I won't go into loads of detail on it. Um, I put your, your sheet... Wh- why do they bother? Okay, wh- why bother? I think I've talked about this enough on other occasions. Um, essentially... That, that diagram says it all, uh, and it's what we touched on in the Corinthians passage. Okay. That they are, the, the creeds, the confessions, the doctrinal statements, they're not additions to the Bible. Okay? No one wants to add to the Bible. What they are are ways of clarifying what we think the Bible teaches. If you, if you, to be honest, any of us, if it's just me and the Bible, I go off on my own, don't listen to anyone else, don't listen to sort of wise teachers in the church or people who've gone before me in history, I'm probably going to end up in a mess. Okay? None of us are smart enough to work it all out on our own. And so they're just helpful guides as to what scripture teaches. Um, so when I say the Bible alone is not enough, I don't mean we need to add. I just simply mean that everyone says they believe the Bible. You need to clarify what you mean the Bible, uh, what you think the Bible says. Um, they also protect you, uh, protect members. So I'm not allowed to insist on anything that isn't in the doctrinal basis. I can't enforce stuff that isn't there. Okay, so it's a guard against just total tyranny. You're not just stuck with whatever your minister happens to believe that week or want to demand that week. There is a clear standard to which your leaders are held accountable. And thirdly, finally, it's just unavoidable. Okay, everyone actually believes a load of stuff. So either they don't tell you what it is and you find out by surprise over the years, or you'd be upfront about it. Um, if you're trying to look for a church, just, you just want to be upfront. Okay, if you leave Leeds and you're going to find a new church, look, ask what their doctrinal basis is. Hopefully it'll be on the website or something. Um, you don't want to find out three years down the line or something. So it's just, it's just some of it is just straight up sort of openness and honesty. So we're a church in that, in that Presbyterian um, tradition. There are Presbyterian churches all over the world. Um, um, dominant tradition in Scotland. Some names from, you know, Murray McShane or um, Thomas Chalmers, right down to kind of Sinclair Ferguson nowadays. Um, in the USA, loads of Presbyterian churches, Tim Keller. Might have heard of Presbyterian or Kevin DeYoung, Dale Ralph Davis. Some of these guys have, have had some international ministries uh, that you may have come across over here. Um, now, we're not... So the IPC is a Presbyterian denomination. The International Presbyterian Church is a Presbyterian denomination. Um, so we're, it's not the same church that Tim Keller is in or the Scots guys are in because basically they're, you know... Um, 
they're in America, we're, we're in England. Um, so there are different Presbyterian churches, but they all agree um, on the same doctrinal standards and they all organise their churches in the same way. Just logistically, it doesn't really work to run one global denomination. Um, and there are various complications down the line there. I'll come back to that for our own problems later. Um, so Kevin DeYoung, Tim Keller, Matt Shortman, Peter Wood, they are peas in a pot, okay? They're all believe the same things, minister in the same way, um, but structurally are in different denominations. So we're 400 years old. We trace our roots right back there in the Reformation. Uh, we're 60 years old. What about the IPC itself, okay, our denomination? Uh, it began with this guy, Francis Schaeffer. You can see him on the sheet there. Um, he had a phenomenal ministry. He, he, I think he probably was as strange as he, as he looks. Um, um, he, age 17, I think it was, um, his Sunday school teacher, he grew up in America, American, um, his Sunday school teacher said, oh, this, this, this Belarusian count, this count from Belarus, who's fled Russia, um, you know, he's communism and Stalinism, sort of it, um, has arrived, and he doesn't really speak any English. Um, so can you get a kind of beginner's English book for him and teach him English? And Schaefer went to the library, and, and basically what, he, he ended up with this philosophy book. Um, and he, he took it home and read it all. And started thinking about philosophy. And he, he just kept thinking, no, none of these are right. Okay, I can read about, whatever, Plato and Aristotle and right down to kind of Kant and whoever. And it, none of this is true. And so he thought, well, I've been in a church. I've never really thought about the gospel for myself. So I should really do some deep thinking. And, and that's what led to his conversion. It was kind of seeing the weirdness of, of philosophy and other options made him push back into the Bible, think more deeply. And he came to faith. Um, so after the war, the Second World War that is, the, the, the American, one of the American denominations sent him to Europe to kind of do a, a trip. How are things going for the, for the Europeans after World War II, given what's happened? And he went back and reported, um, sort of, uh, about 1947 I think it was. Um, but, but his trip had given a bit of a bug. He thought that Europe really needs the gospel. Uh, and so there's a bit of back and forth. But basically in the early 50s he, he moved to Switzerland, he and his wife. And they moved to the Swiss Alps. And they began this evangelistic ministry called Le Brie. If you're a French speaker, Le Brie means the shelter. Um, and they basically had this, you know, this kind of, um, uh, what do you call it, like great big hut thing, you know, uh, what do they call them, chalet kind of thing, up in the, the Swiss mountains. And, 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 and Schaefer would do evangelism. Um, you'd come along, the deal was, you can come and stay, um, you've got to help out, you know, gardening, weed the... Weed the you know, with the flower beds, help cook the meal, tidy up, whatever. But every evening and lunchtime, Schaefer would give lectures on, you know, is Christianity really true? Or, and he was brilliant at engaging the mind. And loads of people came to faith. It was just one of those things where God was gracious and lit a, lit a fire in it. So many people came to faith through it. Uh, many now are, you know, are now pretty elderly, but they've been significant church leaders in the USA and, and elsewhere, in, and in the UK, actually. Um, you, you know plenty of their names. But, but, but um, as is often the case, I think, when, when you get someone who's totally brilliant, like Schaefer, he's written loads of books, he had a, he's just a bit of a genius already, totally quirky, but a genius. Um, people came to faith and thought, well, there's no ministry like this in England. So, so um, the guy who actually married Schaefer's daughter in the end, a guy called Randall McCauley, who became Schaefer's son-in-law, um, planted um, the first IPC churches in England um, in the late 60s. They'd already they'd sort of created a little church in the Swiss Alps. There was already a church in, in Switzerland. Um, but they thought, we'll, we'll do some in England as well. So they planted one in Liss in West London, which is still going. Sorry, 
Ealing in West London. That was the first one. Um, that's where Paul Levy is, if you know him. Some of you have visited Ealing. Uh, another one down in Lys, uh, where James Buchanan is now minister. And basically, from the 1970s through to about 2003, those two churches plugged along, but nothing else much happened. Um, some Koreans who'd also come to faith under Schaefer planted in the UK, uh, but not an awful lot. Uh, then, in, in, in I mean, in some modern history, about 2003, Paul Levy, who some of you will know, became the minister of, or well, he is still the minister of IPC in Ealing. Um, he he took over there. I think it was 03, certainly early years of the, the millennium. Um, that was 2003, was it? Thank you. Um, and and he's just done a great job of reviving the denomination. Um, he's brought, you know, he if you've met him, he's quite good fun. He's, he's got lots of friends, you know, uh, and done a great job of kind of of winning people in. Uh, and so since then, we're now in the, in, in the, the situation where we've got about, about 30 odd churches uh, in the IPC. Um, 14 of them are in, in England and Scotland, three in Scotland, 11 in England. Uh, and another, another one, possibly two, are just about to start in the next couple of months. Two start in the last two months. Um, and, and so actually, you know, given that 10 years ago there were about well, 11 or 12 years ago, there were like two or three churches. Actually, the, the rate of growth has been relatively significant. Slow and steady, but, but relatively significant. Um, for those of you here the other weeks um, and heard a little bit about, about presbytery, and you remember that diagram with Synod and presbytery, um, we now have basically four presbyteries. There's an English-speaking presbytery, which covers England and, and Scotland. We haven't got any churches in Wales. Not as a policy, just as, a, <laughs> just as an accident. Um, uh, there's a Korean-speaking presbytery in the UK. So there are some IPC churches that are Korean-speaking, but in the UK, so they have their own presbytery. Um, there's a presbytery in Europe, and we've got IPC churches in places just all over the place, Czech Republic, Azerbaijan, um, Belgium, uh, all sorts of places, um, missionaries in, in North Africa that you can't talk about. Um, so some European churches, and there are some IPC churches in Korea uh, as well. Um, so a fourth presbytery of Koreans in Korea. And once a year, we all come together. So four times a year, the, the presbytery meets. So that's the, all the elders of the, for me, I'm in the, obviously in the English-speaking presbytery. We meet once a year. Uh, sorry, four times a year. Um, that's where Peter and, and Matt and I have been in York this last, last couple of days. Um, but once a year, the four presbyteries come together and everyone meets together. And it's total mayhem. Um, because I don't speak Azerbaijani, and the Azerbaijanis don't really speak English, uh, and a lot of the Koreans don't really speak English, and the Czechs, you know, total mayhem. Um, we're trying to work out how to, to, to run it more effectively in the future, but um, Shafe had this vision of a church without borders. You know, if, if heaven is going to be full of people speaking every you know, tribe, tongue, and, and language, then, then why not the church now? Which is a brilliant vision, but very hard to execute. Um, so who knows quite where we'll go? Um, but that's where we're at at the moment. And that's our third book, the Book of Church Order I keep referring to. I stupidly forgot to bring it. There is a little, basically, to, to, to work, you just need a little book of rules. How are we going to run things? How many times are we going to meet as a denomination? Um, uh, you know, what do, we, um, what do we do when something goes wrong? We talked about discipline last week. There's a book of church order, which are the, kind of the rules that, as a minister, I have to function under. Um, every denomination has one, needs one. We don't pretend it's on the level of the Bible, of course, but it's just sort of how do you function? So we're six years old, nearly there. 
the last birthday, really. We're four years old. Christchurch Central is four years old. Um, again, for lots of you, this is old hat, but also it's really exciting to have so many new people joining us over the last um, few months. Um, so for their sake, let me just fill in the story a little bit. Um, we began in September 2017 um, here in Leeds. Um, a, a group from Derby uh, came up. So my previous job was church planting in Derby, Christchurch Derby, which is a little church plant. began with seven of us in 2010. Um, and I think, yeah, where's Quiz? Is Quiz here? No, she's not here. Tom's wife, Quiz, I think was the only person there at the time. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so Quiz uh, was in the core group of that and in the core group of this church. So she's basically the founder of two churches now. Um, I just do the preaching. Um, so seven of us began that church in Derby, 2010. God was kind, it grew. Um, and uh, because I became part of the denomination, the IPC, I, I was part of the church planning committee. And we were looking for someone to plant, plant in Leeds. We couldn't find anyone. And one meeting, I said to the committee, well, I suppose I could think about it. And that was pretty much it. Um, no, no reversing. Um, and so, the, you know, I talked with the elders. In, I didn't want to make it a personal. So I talked with the elders in Derby. They were, <laughs> take this as you like, but they were keen to send me. Um, <laughs> um, uh, and to be fair to Derby, they, right from the beginning, they were always saying, look, we're a church plant, but we want to plant churches. They were always trying to look to the, to the future. We assumed that would be somewhere else in Derby, you know, a suburb or a local town or something. We didn't think it would be Leeds. Um, but fair play to them. They made a big sacrifice. And incredibly, um, I, I really do think this is incredible. I'm, I'm, I'm paid to do it. It's my job. I get funded. Um, but um, when, it, when, the, when the elders announced it to the church um, and said, look, if anyone wants to go, then you'd be very welcome. We didn't ask people spe- really tightly, specifically, um, because it felt like a bit, you can't trigger people on that and you can't ask one person, not the other. And apart from the streets, actually, totally went for the streets. But other than the streets, didn't ask anyone else. Um, uh, but amazing, the streets, the Shortmans, the Sants, Ben, Quinton, who at the moment still didn't have Sally yet, so it was just Ben. Was that, was that a motivation? Who knows? Uh, um, and the islets uh, moved up. So four, four families, they just uprooted, uh, and Ben, up, uprooted from Derby, left, you know, meant for most of them losing, leaving jobs, houses, friends, schools for the kids, um, to, to plant up here. And by that stage, we'd also, we'd also picked up the Barretts and the Woods and the Freeburns, who were, for various different ways, had sort of come to Leeds. Um, so they weren't from Derby, but they were part of that, that original core group. So there's about 15 or 16 of us. Uh, and we kicked off in 2017, and God has been kind. We've slowly grown um, to where we are today. Um, since then, so really, everyone is pretty new to each other. To each other. Okay, if you feel like you're new at Christchurch, I mean, we're all new, really. Uh, we're not an old church. Uh, all along, we've said we're going to do one big aim. So, when you do church plants, people love coming up with like vision statements and mission statements, and it's got to be something totally radical and different and new. I kind of think maybe I'm just getting old, but um, I kind of think surely you're just trying to do what everyone else has been doing for two thousand years. Do you know what I mean like? You, you're not trying to come up with something that's totally radically new. And if, you, if you've come up with something totally radically new, you've probably got it wrong. Um, so what, what are we here to do? We've said, look, we're here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Ripped straight off the catechism. Um, I, I do think that's a, that, that is important, by the way. Like, our main goal is not, is not doing stuff, as it were. So some churches, that, that, what are we here for? We're here to reach the nations. Okay, well, that's a good thing to do, but it's not the ultimate end. The ultimate end is to know God and enjoy him, glorify him, enjoy him. Okay, that is the purpose of everything. The purpose of everything isn't doing stuff all the time. 
All the doing is to a purpose, get you to God. So that's the ultimate aim we want for, for Christchurch. And we've said, look, in terms of when you get to the, the, the specifics, the ministries, we think from the Bible there are three main things we're meant to do. Gather, grow, go. Um, gather is all about worship. We're meant to gather, um, particularly, obviously, supremely on Sundays, although other occasions too, to worship. Grow is about discipleship. We want to do ministries that help people grow more Christ-like. And go is about mission. Okay, we want to reach the people in Leeds. But under that too would be, I mean, that's why we run Christian Explore courses from time to time and do evangelistic events and do the carol service, that kind of thing. But also included in that, we need to concern for the nations. Okay, so this is why we're sending the Sants and giving them money or support Kip and Rachel in Nairobi. Uh, and any, as we sort of add ministries, God willing, you know, uh, we now have a focus, a student group. Well, that fits into that pattern. It's part of the discipleship of the church mum's barber study or cafe events they, hopefully those will give us a, a kind of grid um, from which we can develop specific ministries and then finally 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 we, we're looking to the future uh, one of the things I, I hope and, and one of the reasons I, I've done this session on the IPC it, is that I really hope you feel part of something bigger I think it's really important both biblically and just exciting personally to, to know that you're part of something beyond just the local congregation Okay, the church is bigger than just us. And that means if you've been, let's say you've been around Christchurch um, for, for a few years and perhaps you've been giving to the church, um, some of our money we then give on to the central denomination in order that, that they can then give to, to the church plants. So although we haven't planted a church specifically like a door to church, some of the, the money that you've earned at work, given to Christchurch Central, because we're part of one family of churches, has helped Daniel plant up in Chester. Um, in the last few weeks uh, and will help God willing uh, Rob plant in well Rob's already gone in Hammersmith um, hopefully Barry in Hounslow soon um, we, we are part you know we, we are part of that that's why we pray for them it's not just oh I've heard there's a church plant they are part of our one church family uh, and so yeah you, know, you have played a part in that however unwittingly um, so there's two basic things we're, we're trying to do we're trying to plant churches um, and just keep going with that. It'd be great as Christchurch Central. Maybe, God willing, one day we'll be able to plant our own sort of daughter church. That'll be something to pray for. Plenty of room in Leeds and the surrounding area. And also, we really need to train the next generation of ministers and planters. I know we need to train all sorts of people. We need women's workers and children's workers, all sorts of stuff as well. So that's not going to be exclusive. But it, we, we need to invest in raising up the next generation both of, of teaching elders, ministers, if you like, people full-time in, in my kind of role, who can go and plant churches... But also ruling elders, those who care for the congregation, shepherd the congregation, the, the role that Matt and Peter are in. We, we need to invest in that if the church is going to stay healthy. And so that, that's one reason, for example, um, it's not the only reason, but yeah, we do, we do this, we've had um, Jake and Zach um, have been ministry trainees. Now, just, just give them a bit of an experience of church life. We also had Hannah, um, for those of you here, who were here last year, you might remember Hannah. Um, it's just giving people a little bit of experience of what, what might ministry be like. Now, it's not only for people who want to do ministry long term. Okay, so lots of people do it just as a way of serving the church for a year, um, knowing full well afterwards they want to go and become a plumber or whatever. Um, but it's just a way of looking to the future and investing in people who can become, God willing, kind of key in churches in the future. Okay, key men and women who will, um, uh, whether they go full time into ministry or not, or get normal jobs and just get stuck in churches, will just see a little bit more of what church is like. Um, I need to stop because we, we need to set up. Um, 
I know some of you hate history, and that's fair enough. Um, but I did want to uh, explain a little bit about what it means to be part of IPC. Let, just, just for one minute, does anyone want to ask anything? I know we've not had any discussion today. Normally we'd have discussion and all the rest of it, but it was lecture day. A- any, anyone want to know anything in particular or ask anything in particular? Before I tell you what we're doing next. Don't flinch. If you flinch, it looks like you're going to do a question. Um, oh, you do have a question? Okay. Good question. Why Leeds? Um, so, um, because there's a manual back there, says Redeem, but you know. Um, it, de- it definitely wasn't saying, to go back from where I started, oh, there's a city with zero good churches. Um, let's, let's go and start the only good one. Um, really, it was, um, it, it came out of a discussion, not even just within IPC, but actually within the wider kind of Bible teaching, evangelical churches world, um, that proportionally Leeds has very, very few, particularly conservative evangelical churches for the size of the city. Um, and if you look at the ones that were most similar to us, City, Emmanuel Baptist, Redeemer, cities right down the south, and are trying to focus, I, you know, particularly trying to focus now on, um, on Beast and Holbeck. Um, Redeem, not Redeemer, Emmanuel had just moved right out to Horsforth, Okay, so a long way out the top. And, and Redeemer up in sort of far headingly. So even chatting with those guys, there's basically a bit of a hole in the middle, which is why we've gone into the centre. So we, I don't think we, would have, we wouldn't have planted in Horsforth or Beeston, like right next door to um, Emmanuel or whatever, trying to be a local church. But it, and, and I can't remember the exact figures, but it's something like in general, is, I think Yorkshire in general is 0.2% evangelical, is that it? Yeah. Um, which is incredibly low. Even for England. I mean, that, England is bad anywhere, but Yorkshire is incredibly bad. And Leeds is a city of at least three quarters of a million people. With, them, you know, if you're being really generous, a low few thousands in evangelical churches on a Sunday. Um, so really, it was, you know, we could have, I think you could have justified planting all sorts of places, but Leeds seemed like a good, you know, a, a good next, next option. And in part two, I think, because... You never know for sure, but humanly speaking, God willing, over time, in a, in a city, you can grow something a bit larger, which might then be able to send out daughter churches into smaller places. Um, so that's part of the thinking, too. You don't know what God's going to do, but that'd be something we'd, be, we'd been sort of mindful of. So the fact that, for example, Ealing is in London, which is a big place and has grown, um, has meant they can do daughter, daughter churches. And we're beginning to see that with York and Trinity, too. Whereas, if you, you know, realistically, if you're in a village of... I grew up in a village of about 250 people. You know, even if you reach all of them, you're not going to be that big. Um, yeah. So. Great. Any, any more for any more? Hey, you doing? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great church. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, that's a really good question, thanks. Um, one of the, I think one of the things, certainly in my head I've sort of wrestled with, and I, I don't have any particularly brilliant answer on yet, is that um, because we don't, because we're hiring buildings on Sunday mornings, it's really hard to, to feel kind of grounded in one community. So the first, the, when I was a, an assistant minister, I was in a village called Duffield, and like you could draw a line, around, you know, a circle around it, like that, that is the, the parish, if you like, 
there were whatever there were 8,000 people living there, two primary schools, one senior school, two assemblies. Do you know what I mean? It really had a community feel. Whereas this is already our second venue and we need to leave it as soon as we can to find somewhere better. So I'm not sure right now we can do the kind of tight community feel thing because we could just we could be done, you know, we could be somewhere else in. Um, and so what we have, I mean, COVID obviously kibosh thing, what pre pandemic, what we were trying to focus on a bit more was um, essentially relational stuff. Um, and last night, notwithstanding, who knows, um, if we can get going again um, in-person events, for example, we, you know, we, we held some evenings in, in a cafe in Headingley, fantastic evenings, bring people along. It wasn't hard to get Headingley, though. It would just br- bring, bring your mates from anywhere kind of thing. Same with the carol service. It's not actually targeted at one area. Um, and I think that's, that's got its downsides, um, to be honest, as in there are advantages of parish ministry. But in a city, I think it's, it's pretty unavoidable unless you really get stuck into one, one suburb. Um, so it's all, I mean, I could actually first about some of the advantages stuff we have done and would like to do, um, you know, advantages courses, events, that sort of thing. But unless we get a sort of permanent presence somewhere, I think it's quite hard for it to be targeted at like one portion of Leeds and it instead has to be networks, friends, colleagues, who you happen to live next door to, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, we ought to wrap up. Let me just say, looking forward, um, we, we need to now put membership in place. So what will happen, it's going to take time, there's lots of people, uh, but basically what will happen is we, we, the elders will get in touch with you over, over the next, it's going to take months, basically, because there's lots of people, um, and talk to everybody about whether you want to become members um, and if you're interested what will happen is, is probably a couple of us will just sit down with you, it's not going to be a great Spanish inquisition but it'll just be like tell us, tell us how you came to faith, tell us what you believe and all, all, we're, all, you know, all we're looking for if I can put it like that is just, is just to hear that you're a Christian, you believe, believe in the gospel and are willing to commit to the local church okay? so don't, don't panic, it's not um, yeah, it's not the Spanish inquisition coming in um, and yeah, and then, and then slowly we'll bring people in. We, need, we, we haven't really worked out a plan of how exactly to do it, but we need to action it over the next, next weeks and months. Um, just very specifically, the next couple of weeks, this is the end of this series. What I want to do as we head towards Christmas is think a little bit uh, about, um, well, about Christmas, the incarnation. Um, a few peop- I've noticed a few people recently asking me kind of stuff about G- Jesus, God, man, uh, how does that work? And, uh, anyway, we're going to do a little series on, on the incarnation, um, the Son of God, come to earth it will only be a couple of weeks then it'll be Christmas um, but we'll do a bit of a bit of deeper thinking on that why it matters um, how it works and all the rest let me pray then we'll turn church around Father God thank you so much for the ministry of those who've gone before us thank you for those who brought the gospel uh, to the congregations in which we were converted um, uh, the evangelists the, the, the friends the parents uh, the missionaries the pastors uh, we thank you particularly for, for Schaefer and for the, the men who followed after him, uh, planting the church, the IPC churches uh, across the country. Uh, we pray your blessing on, uh, on the denomination. We don't want to be great for our own sake, but we do want to see Christ honoured uh, through our ministry. So in your mercy, would you use us? Pray particularly this morning for, for those, those new plants uh, in, in Hammersmith, in Hounslow soon, God willing, in Chester. Uh, Lord, would you send people and, and, and fan into flame the, the, the gospel witness? in those areas. Father, we, we bless you for bringing us into a family and pray you'd make us um, faithful, committed servants within that household. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.